Start as soon as possible. Be bolder in your content. Don't follow trends, create trends. But obviously it's hard to just create trends like that. You just have to be bold with your content and everyone tries to be timid and please everyone. You can't get too far by trying to please everyone. You're listening to Let's Talk Marketing Podcast, hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? In short, it's going to be a good time. We're going to have a great conversation, and there's going to be a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I get to explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I am here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. Now in this episode, we're doing things a little different. We're covering content creator perspective on influencer marketing with Mega. Mega is a true trailblazer in the world of beauty trends. This remarkable individual has made a significant impact by creating short form beauty videos that ignited global sensations. Credited with kickstarting the viral facelifting concealer hack in 2020 and pioneering the groundbreaking Normalize Insecurities series, her ultimate goal, empowering individuals, especially young girls, to fully embrace their unique features and become the most confident versions of themselves. Join me as I get to dive into the creator perspective with Mega Singh. So let's talk marketing. Welcome to the Let's Talk Marketing podcast. Today, I have got my guest, Mega. Yes, that is her name. I verified that before I said it out loud. I'm so excited to have you on here for a little bit of like a content creators unplugged version of the Let's Talk Marketing podcast. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Of course. Now, down the road, what we're going to do today is we're going to unpack content creation. And by that specifically, just like how you create the content and from the creator's perspective. But before we do dive into that, I would love for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better as who you are as a content creator. So first, I like to start with like where someone gets started and then where they are now. So let's start with the origin of you as a content creator. When did you decide to start dipping your toes into it? How did you do it? What platform were you on? And how long ago was it? Oh, God, it was like almost 10 years ago now. I had a fashion e-commerce company that I desperately needed sales for. So I started creating fashion content. And it was so bad, I swear. (laughs) It was on Instagram. It was photos only. They were so overly edited. You couldn't see anything. I've come a long way. (laughs) I love that. So where are you now? So it sounds like what you started off with is helping yourself and helping your business. Where are you now? Do you still have that business? Are you on multiple platforms? Who's Megan now? So I shut that business down a long time ago. I moved on to beauty content during COVID and it really picked up. Well, since then I've been doing beauty because that's what people seem to love watching. And I'm everywhere. Everywhere, even threads. Everywhere. (laughs) Oh, well, threads. Is where that's my question now. I think it used to be like, are you on TikTok? They're either not on TikTok or they are on TikTok. But now it's all about just threads. And I think that'll be an interesting conversation for another podcast for sure. I'd love to know 
as a content creator, what is it that you love about being a content creator? But conversely, we like to see the good and the bad. What, if anything, could you pluck out of what you are doing? And it would be like the perfect job. So let's start with the positive. What do you love about being a content creator? Oh, God, it's my community of girls. Like, I just love all the love that I've been getting. It's just, I like go outside, I go to CVS, for example, and there's someone smiling really hard at me. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> and then they like will DM me later saying that, hey, I saw you here, but I was too shy. And I was like, you could have said hi, you know? Yeah, you are a person too. So it's the community. Do you get a chance to engage with them outside of social media platforms? I do because I run into them and some people say hi. <laughs> And I love that, but for the most part, because I do short form content, they don't quite remember my name. So they're like, wait, I know you, like, where do I know you from? Do I know you from TikTok? And so they won't remember my name, but they like know my face. <laughs> I have been to places where I run into content creators and influencers that I follow. And it is very surreal because you know so much, they know so much about you and you don't know them. Like you are such a familiar face. Like, where do I know her from? So I could totally see that. But conversely, what, if anything, would you pluck out? What do you not like about what you do? Oh, God, I feel like I'm always working. Like from when I open my eyes to like when I close my eyes, I'm always thinking, what do I want to post next? What do I want to do next? It's, there's never a downtime. I don't think I've taken a vacation in a long time. I'm currently in my brother's apartment. I'm like filming all day long. <laughs> That is to me so wild. And we were talking about this offline. You also don't have a talent manager. So you are truly not only working all the time, like creating content, but you're negotiating, you're putting together the storylines, you're editing, you're posting, you're writing your own captions. Like it is all encompassing for you. Oh God, it's a lot. <laughs> but I also like love my work. So I don't really see it as work as everyone else is. Oh my God, you're working all the time. Do you have anything else to say besides work? And I'm like, well, it's not as bad as it sounds. Yeah, I was gonna say, if you love what you do, that's part of the passion. And I forgot to ask you, do you do this part-time, full-time? Is this your side hustle? Is this your full-time job? And it is a full-time job. And I would imagine that as a content creator, you always have to be on the edge of the next trends, the algorithms, all of that stuff. But I kind of wonder, because you're in it all of the time, do you use social networks for any sort of inspiration, education, finding ways to do things or entertainment? Do you use social networks for any of those things? And if you do, which ones do you gravitate towards for those things? I used to be the biggest consumer. Like I would watch and consume content all day long, but I've tried to now set a limit that as soon as I post whatever, like I don't consume any content anymore, just so that I don't like cloud my creativity because that affects a lot. Like sometimes I see a really fun piece of content and I'm like, oh, I could recreate that, but then it doesn't match with my branding. But I also do it because it's like fun, <laughs> fun and I'm like oh that looks really funny what if I do it too you know and then that messes up the you're allowed to do it though you not allow yourself to do those things that inspire you that you I'm see I'm trying not to do it as much just because like it confuses everyone so example let's say you turn on CNN and they start doing SNL there so it's it may make you want to watch CNN I'm just saying no, I love that. What they come to you for. Instead of making it about me, it has to be about the audience. And that's very confusing because I'm still a person and it's still a social media platform. But then I have to like see myself as 
a content creator. People are showing up for a specific type of content. Whatever I'm in the mood for. <laughs> I think if it falls in line with your brand, and I will say this, like I think it's really great that you have such a strong identity of who you are online versus offline. And you understand what your audience is looking for. That's what I hear. So you're really not only, and it makes sense because the part about what it is that you do that you love is the community. So you're really catering to what that community wants to see and what they want to see more of. And I really think that goes into how you create your content and the decisions that you make. I also love the fact that you've made this rule for yourself of like, all right, I'm done posting and then I'm going to walk away. I, that's got to be really great for your mental health, because at some point, I imagine as a content creator, enough is enough. It's got to be like, OK, I cannot if I scroll through one more thing, it becomes a little I don't know, maybe a little too much. I don't know what your My thoughts are. My brain is always overloaded. <laughs> I'm like, this is just too much content. I can't reply to one more conversation I can't I don't have the energy to text people back sometimes the same day and I'm like my real friends they're like oh wait you do you not have five seconds to text me back and I'm like I'm literally mentally drained <laughs> at this point replying to emails and replying to all the conversations and posting so much at this point I'm currently getting 1500 emails a day from like people <laughs> It's a lot. That's insane. I'm so glad that you replied to my email. <laughs> no, what is she not replying? No. <laughs> Why is she not replying? Okay, so you don't go to social networks for all of that stuff, the inspiration, education, and entertainment. How do you, though, stay up to date on things? Is there a newsletter? Is Are there books? Are there podcasts? Is it a show? Like, How are you staying up to date on the trends of the space? Because digital marketing... I feel like it moves and it happens so fast. And especially for content creators, once there is just a trending song or a trending transition or like something like that. So how are you staying up to date? So usually my friends will send me funny memes and that's how I know what's trending. Also, I'm trying not to do trends and I've noticed that it's better to create trends than to be the one participating in. So I'm always trying to be the one who's creating it instead. And I've started multiple trends in beauty industry. Ooh, I want to hear a little bit about that before we dive into the strategy, because I think that you you hit the nail on the head. I think most people want to start a trend, but don't really know how. And I would assume that you're so tapped into your community and to who you are. That's almost like the equation to get that viral response that you're looking for. I would love to hear or learn a little bit more about any of the trends that you've started? Okay, so the first one that really made me a beauty influencer is this one concealer trend, which is the way everyone applies concealer now. It's I did this one facelifting trend. You just apply a dot of a concealer here, and then like a line over there, it makes your eyes look lifted. And that went like really viral. This was during COVID. And that's when I just... I wish I'd seen that trend. It would have made my face look so much better. You're ready. <laughs> I love it. I love this. I love the idea of being the trendsetter and not the trend follower. That's probably the best way to find it. Yes. Well, let's dig into it. Let's talk marketing. More specifically, I really want to unpack content creation from your perspective, the content creator. And the reason that I want us to be able to do that and for the listeners, it takes a lot to put together a piece of content 
And that's what we really want to be able to dive into. If you're given the opportunity to decide on what content to create, how do you decide between video and a picture? Or maybe it's like a carousel or a story. Like, how do you decide, all right, XYZ beauty brand has come to me and this is what I don't actually, let's start with that. How do you get these campaign briefs? Do they come to you all already packaged? Is it a mixed bag of some people are telling you what they're trying to achieve? What are you getting? Whenever they reach out, they just come with whatever they have going on and they have a full campaign brief, including what they want us to do, how long the video should be, etc. And also those don't tend to perform as well. But when I reach out to them, I give them the idea and I'm like, this is what I think I can do. I know this video is going to do well. And then if they agree and that performs better. <laughs> Why do you think that performs better? I have some theories, but I'd love to hear yours. One is it's more organic versus whenever they reach out to us, they give us specific things to say. They'll be like, show the product and say these XYZ things about the product. That's actually not important to the viewer. If I say that the packaging is really lightweight, the viewer does not care about that. They just care, make me look pretty. Yeah, I don't know that I would care if a beauty product was lightweight. Unless it came in a container to be able to travel with. So that's interesting. How about for the campaigns that you get that have campaign brief put together and they have lots of instructions? Have you found that some brands are open to a little bit of feedback of, hey, I understand what it is that you're looking for, but I know that my audience would prefer this. I'm wondering like how much wiggle room that you get as a creator on the brand side. If it's a mega company, then they there is not much you can say. They just tell you what to do. But they also book so many videos with us, and they're not very salesy either. They're more going for branding. The video turns out great either way. But if it's a small business, they're more open to us telling them what to do or a mid-sized business. And in those instances, how do you decide between you know producing a video for them, a short-form video, and just a set of pictures? Or do you give them a combination of both of those? If it's on Instagram, it's gonna be a reel and a bunch of stories. And sometimes they want pictures that they wanna post on their website or in their advertising. So it really depends on the campaign, but if it's on TikTok, then it's just a video. Or, and sometimes it's just a video that goes on their advertising that I don't even post. And like whitelisting. Yeah, whitelisting is huge part of my revenue stream now. I don't even do as much sponsor posts. And that's what I was going to ask you too. I know that back in the day when I was managing an influencer program, it was for a beauty brand and the creators that I would reach out to, and maybe it's because this was honestly five, seven years ago, and it obviously the landscape is slightly different, but they were really always very apprehensive about posting it on their social feed. They're like, I don't want it to live here forever. Then it's just going to look like I'm only promoting this. So stories was always a really big deal. Do you have concerns about posting on your feed, more specifically, I guess, for Instagram from a brand or for, yeah, for a brand or a campaign or a partnership that you're engaged in? Is that ever a concern for you? I don't want it to be just ads because it's all about the community and how I'm giving them value. And I don't want to constantly be like selling to them. So I prefer not to do too many ads one after another, but also I release so much content. I do 
about four videos a day on YouTube, TikTok. And then I have another new TikTok and I'm doing more there. So it's just a lot of content. So they're not going to run out of organic content from me. <laughs> I'm just posting a lot. That to me sounds insane. Four videos a day. This is why you're busy. But I still think like you should give yourself some credit. And this is what we want to unpack is. All right. So let's talk about this. Let's unpack your day, Mega. Okay. Because you're like very easy breezy saying, oh, I'll just do four videos. But that is a lot. There is something behind creating the story behind the video that you're going to post. I'm assuming that you put some thought into what it is that you're going to post, because if not, then there's editing involved, or maybe there's not, or maybe that's how you're posting out for videos. So share a little bit about how you create the story behind the content that you're going to post in a day, right? I always try to do a series and I try to, like you mentioned before the podcast, you were like, you try to give your audience one takeaway, which is usually what I try to do with my video. I try to give them one takeaway and one only that they can take from it, that they can then replicate it themselves. That's what I do. And then I do a series and then people ask me to do things. And that makes it super easy because they're like, do this now and then do this now. And I'm like, okay, I'm never running out of ideas. <laughs> they just keep, and I think that's a testament to you being so open with your community and taking their feedback. And then they're seeing what they ask for comes out in that way. So when you're creating a bit of a series, give me an example of a series that you would potentially create in just your area of expertise. Okay, last year I did this series called Normalize Insecurity Series because I'm followed by so many girls and they're all like, I want a small nose, I want a nose job. And I'm like, no, the small nose is trending right now. It's not going to be trending 10 years from now. First of all, there's nothing good because whatever is trending right now, whatever beauty standard is trending right now, does not mean that you need to look like that. And so I wanted to do this whole like Normalize Insecurity Series where I'm like trying to show them that other the features that are not in trend also look beautiful. So I would change my facial features and everyone's like, do this now and do moles now and do acne now and do a gap teeth. And I was like, I'll do them all. <laughs> I love that. I love that because I think that also being a content creator in the beauty space has got to be an enormous amount of pressure, which I feel like that's probably in and of itself its own podcast to discuss like beauty standards and being a content creator in the space and allowing people to love the way they look while still also showing them how to maybe amplify what they already have. Maybe yeah, that's kind of what I'm to own it. They look good. When I was younger, it was like bigger no because I grew up in Middle East and bigger noses were in there. But I had a smaller one. So I was like, I wish I had a bigger nose. And now you're lucky you have a small nose. And I'm like, that's not what I heard growing up. <laughs> it is so wild. It, and it's interesting that you're bringing up noses, both big and both, and the beauty trends that follow with them as well, too. How do you get into just the creative process? I know that you said that you have so many thoughts going on, but I would imagine that you've got to just wrangle them all in so that you can put together a series or you can be really thoughtful of like, all right, I've got... My community has said this. What's a creative way for me to be able to put that together? What do you do to get into kind of that creative space? I used to ask this question all the time when I was hiring designers and because everybody is creative in different areas. I wish it was a light switch. Wouldn't that be easy? Everybody would do it if you could just switch it on and off. But like inspiration is coming at you at all the times. So I'd love to learn a little bit about what your creative process is. 
I think momentum makes it easy. So as soon as I turn on my lights and I turn on my camera, I get the energy <laughs> to begin. <laughs> and I get new ideas as soon as I start creating. It's only when I'm not creating, like I take maybe half a day off. And I'm like, I have no ideas and I'm all blank and I don't know what to do. <laughs> but whenever I'm back on camera, I suddenly have all the ideas, everything is flowing and I have 10 different ideas and I can make 10 different videos, like it's on. <laughs> do you typically, when you're creating your videos, create a long form video that you then edit down for the pieces that you see? Or are you creating like multiple short videos? Does that question make sense? Like, I, I don't know if the process is make a long one and then chop it up because you see the whole vision and that'll be easier on the editing side, or you're creating four different short videos. No, I create four different short videos and they're all very different from each other. So I don't do long form at all. I haven't figured out long form yet. It's like a whole different ball game. It is a whole different ball game. Yeah. And do you script it out beforehand? Are you not scripting it out? Are you like a bullet point person where it's just outlined and you know exactly the direction that you're going to go? I'm really curious as to the scripting and then the, and also how many times you do it, because I know I'll try to do a video. And let me just tell you the amount of times I will do a video that I know that I have in my head that doesn't come out. Like it's amazing. So what's that process of creating the video content? for you. Well, now I kind of know exactly how many seconds, what's going to work, what's not going to work, and exactly how to film every shot that goes into a full video. So I break down a video into, usually it's seven to 12 seconds long, and I break them down in one second or 0.5 second takes to make it like free flowing. And I want to make sure that people watch it again too. So it has to be like short enough where people want to watch it again. <laughs> So I know now, but initially it was like, initially either it was too fast or too terrible. Yeah, it sounds like you've really got your rhythm down. And also that breakdown of how many seconds you're recording seems like a really short amount of time. So when you're talking about short form video, in my head, I'm picturing like a minute, two minutes max, but is it even shorter than that for you? Yeah, TikTok is, I think the best performing videos are seven to 12 seconds when it comes to TikTok reels and shorts. I would say stick to seven, ideally, if you can, because you want to give them one takeaway, but you also want to, because makeup, you can show them very quickly. You're like, apply this here, apply that here, and then blend. I guess you're right. I'm thinking of these story-based creators that go on for a really long time because I do lose, I lose my attention span after a certain time, but I would want to probably see just a longer trend for something beauty or like a beauty hack of some sort. Do you do all of, of course you do this, I already know this answer, you must do all of your editing, right? Yeah, I edit as I go. I also film it in a way that doesn't require that much editing. So I will read the same shot over and over. <laughs> you almost have to because editing is a whole other beast as well too. So if the attempt is to do four videos in the day, how much time are you spending prepping? How much time are you spending actually recording, editing, and then posting out? Could you give me like a, a time breakdown? Is that all within one day? You're like, all right, four videos, one day. Where are you spending most of your time? Most of my time goes in actual filming and pre-filming. A lot of times I'm just like in my head, I'm like, oh, I have to do it, I have to do it. And I take long breaks in between every show, every video, which if I were to do them all together, 
and be like really strict, finish it within two hours, then I can do it within two hours. But then I don't end up doing it because I have no boss. <laughs> I have no boss. I have no one else to answer. So I'll film a video. Then I'll be like, oh, I'm making a cup of coffee and I'm just pacing around the house. So I really drag it on for four hours. <laughs> well, I think that's part of the creative process as well, too, right? We're going to get you right when you're in the groove of things. So I love that. Now, what are your must-have tools as a content creator? And anywhere from, is it the ring light? Is it like multiple stands for your phones? Do you have multiple phones? Are you like a, a phone and an iPad? What kind of tools, physical tools do you need? But also what kind of software do you have? Is it all on your phone? Because it sounds like you said that you do a lot of the editing on the phone. So I'm curious as the tools in your toolbox. I just have one bright light that is lighting me up right now. And that's from newer. And then my iPhone. Yes. <laughs> There's so much you can do with your iPhone. <laughs> what about your tripod? Oh, yeah. I have one little baby tripod somewhere. And then I have this like sticky thing on the back on Amazon. I think it's called, oh, it's called Sticky Grippy. You gotta love Amazon. You can pretty much get anything on Amazon. Yeah. And then have it stick there. That's amazing because then it goes like directly exactly where you want it and probably sticks on any sort of service. You can film anywhere with this. People are filming in taxis, et cetera, by just sticking it on the window. That's so smart. Yeah. I love that. Now, what do you use for editing when you do edit? CapCut. CapCut. And you use CapCut on your phone. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I just have sausage fingers and have such a hard time with like truly like the editing, but it's also the level of editing that I want to do. So I love CapCut on my my videos are not that edited because there isn't much text because it's beauty mostly. So it's like one word, whatever, just explaining what the video is about. And that's it. And then I just want you to watch. Just watch my stuff. Just <laughs> That's where the beauty is. Now, really, I'm curious, what are the types of partnerships that you say yes to? And why do you say yes to them? Some are my ongoing partnerships like L'Oreal, etc. I know that their products are good and I have been using them for a while anyway because they only have a specific range of products and I've used them all. It's only when it's like other new businesses that pop up that I'm not sure if their ingredients are good. I'm not sure if the product is going to... Sometimes companies will reach out with the most random product and I'm like, did you even watch my videos? And they're like, well, just do this nutrition powder. And I'm like, I don't do nutrition powders. I don't do supplements and I don't do backpacks. So... I like have to avoid them. And then sometimes they reach out, they're like, we'll run our social media account. And I'm like, I wouldn't do it, but it's going to cost a lot. <laughs> yeah, social media is no joke. I always feel like it's a little bit undervalued for how much everybody uses it. So there's so much more time that should be spent on that. And I think leveraging content creators to do that is the best way to do that, especially for... They just haven't allocated enough budget. Like recently, somebody reached out to me for a startup and they were like, we're offering $10 an hour. And I'm like, that's like way below my starting point. I've been minimum wage in California. Let me just tell you that. So yeah, like, you're gonna, you're gonna, like if you were to hire someone to do that, then your video, like your account is going to go to. <laughs> you're not going to get the expertise that you think that you should get for that. Yeah, yeah. It looks Content creator, dollars an hour. We're charging like thousands an hour. <laughs> that was going to be my next question as well, too. Like, how do you decide how much to charge? Are you just forever evolving that? Do you take a look at it and like, 
think, let's say a campaign brief comes to you and it four videos, five posts, and it's for three months long, right? Are you calculating how much time you're going to be connected with that particular brand? Does it have to do with how much time it takes to create the content? What do you use to determine how much you're either asking for or what the negotiation? Yeah. So initially it was a shot in the dark. I would just say whatever number came to my mind. And I would try to like double it every time and whatever they would accept it. I'll be like, sounds good. That's when you're right. <laughs> but if they interesting, tactic. I was like, oh, I could have charged more. <laughs> but if they really negotiate, then I know where it's at. <laughs> but now it depends on how much work I have going on and how much time and effort it's going to take for me to film it. And I also don't want the whole like exclusivity thing because if brands see my face on another competitive brands advertising that I'm not going to get more work. So then I have to account for the lost business in those like three months or whatever. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And then on your platforms, what kind of, I actually, I don't know if you think about it in this way, because we did mention earlier, like this organic to partnership ratio on what it is that you're posting out. What do you try to keep it at for your social platforms? Is it 50-50 paid partnerships and the other 50 is like what you're posting organically and what your community wants. What's your breakdown between partnerships and organic? I would have to say that I do 90% organic. I love that. One or two ads here and there, but thankfully I've been blessed enough now that there are so many platforms that pay us to just post there. So it's like we don't have to necessarily rely on sponsored ads and do a lot of ads because Snapchat, for example, pays a lot to just post there. So we're not quite relying on sponsored posts as a way to make a living, which initially were. And so you have to do a lot of that too. And I think our followers do understand that, but also at, at some level they don't, they're like selfish. They're like, why are you doing so many ads? Well, well I have bills to pay. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to make a living too. It does take time to... People are, like, I won't be able to create any more content if I like... <laughs> If I'm homeless, this is very true. So let's keep a roof over your head and continue to create just all of that amazing content that you are creating and putting together. I am curious in regards to the whitelisting, because you did mention that like whitelisting for you is it is a larger part of your revenue stream for whitelisting campaigns. Do you limit it to a certain amount of time? Is that how it typically works? Like when they're reaching out to you, I'm assuming that's what the ask is like, hey, this is the campaign. We'd love for it to be listed because there are probably a bit there. There is probably a bit of exclusivity. How long are those whitelisting contracts that was that sweet spot for you? I try to do three months because within three months we grow so much and also their ads get old. So they have to like recreate new ads after three months. So I try to do three months and then we renegotiate based on how more, how much more well known, et cetera, I am and how much more other deals I'm getting. So I try not to like limit myself that way by giving them a like a full year or indefinite contract. That's really smart. I feel like I keep giving you 12,000 questions. So I apologize. I promise I'm well, because I'm just so incredibly curious about that, right? Like in regards to the white listing, and we've talked so much about like your perspective, and I've been on the brand side, right? Like I know what it is that I'm looking at. I'm looking at 
your impressions. I'm looking at how much revenue you brought in. I'm looking at how many followers, all of these different KPIs and these metrics. I'm wondering how much of that information is communicated back to you as the content creator that they've signed on. Like how much of that success or not success, I have no idea because how would you know unless you know those numbers? How is that communicated, if at all? In fact, it's not communicated at all. They don't tell us anything. In, in fact, I don't even see the ads myself. Someone will send it to me. They'll be like, hey, I saw you on so-and-so's like ad. I'm like, oh, they're not even targeting me, which is funny. <laughs> sometimes That is funny. Yeah, sometimes it goes live weeks later and I just don't see it. And random people will send it to me. They'll be like, did they steal your video? And I'm like, no, no, no. They licensed it. <laughs> they licensed it. They paid for it. Would yeah. you find value in understanding or getting that information from a brand? I would imagine that it would help you. I would, but they don't tell us. The only way I know is because they rebook it. So I know it's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Any brand that's listening, tell your creators how well they're doing, because I feel like this is such a miss because to me, I would want to strengthen our relationship and not just by rebooking. And it's got to make you feel good. What if I said, oh my gosh, this ad that you did, loved it. Chef's kiss. This is how many impressions it brought in. This is how much revenue it brought in. Maybe like they're scared that if they give you those numbers, you're now going to hike up your price. But I would imagine you also value long-term partnerships with people. Yeah, exactly. We want to work with the same brands over and over. A lot of them, I feel like we know them now in person because <laughs> I have them on LinkedIn, yeah. etc. They follow me on Instagram and I know who the people are working for. <laughs> but they just don't give us these details either. I feel like they don't even get them themselves. I don't, I really don't know what's going on. <laughs> That's amazing. Such a miss. Any brand listening again, tell your creators. I finally have one final videos that are doing well instead. Like if mine is not performing well and somebody else's is, just send it to me. I'm just curious. <laughs> let me know, let me know what is performing well. Yeah. I've always been such a big advocate for even in the campaign brief to be able to provide like the content creator, an example of what works really well for that particular brand. Maybe it is a carousel. Maybe it is this type of content. I would think like for me working with a brand, it's always been giving guidance because I'm signing you on because you're the creative right? I need your vision because it's your community that we're reaching out to, even if it is whitelisted content. But I don't know. I think it's all a balance and it's all about communication and creating a community between the brand and like the content creators. I've taken up so much of your time. I have one final question. This is the nugget that I want everybody to walk away with. If you knew then what you know now, what is the advice that you give to yourself? before you even start creating any content? What's the advice that you give uh, One, start as soon as possible. Be bolder in your content. Don't, don't follow trends, create trends. But obviously it's hard to just create trends like that. You just have to be bold with your content and everyone tries to be timid and please everyone. You can't get too far by trying to please everyone. That's great advice for life too. Just be bold, not even just as a content creator, just be bold. I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your wisdom and your insights. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So this episode really revolved all around content creator and content creation. So I'm really excited about that because I think oftentimes we take a look at it from the brand perspective, but I think that you have to understand 
the perspective of the content creator. So here are my key takeaways based on just kind of the conversation that we had. The first one is that really the journey is all about continuous learning for any content creator. This kind of evolution of content consumer to content creator is a learning cycle, right? The content creator is always learning and adapting to their just kind of changing audience or community needs. That means like really understanding what their audience is engaging with, right? While you want to be authentic to who you are, you also want to keep the audience you have built up, entertained, engaged, and let's call it what it is. We want them coming back for more, right? What I found interesting is that she really limits her consumption of other content to keep her creativity going. It's not normally what I hear, but I think this is also why you get different perspectives, right? The second key takeaway is that it's all about building a strong community from your audience of followers, right? To start with, the support that Mega received early on in her journey as a content creator was really key. From the followers who were engaged and really became part of her community, she received a ton of motivation and inspiration, ultimately making the work even more enjoyable for her. And make no mistake, being a content creator is work, all caps. I feel like sometimes that goes very undervalued. That's why I include an all caps. Uh, One of the things that can really turn off an audience, though, is the number of sponsored posts to organic posts, right? The sponsored posts are the ones that they get obviously paid for, and we've all seen them. What is also top of mind is that good balance, though, of those sponsored and the organic posts. And what I mean by organic posts is that's just everyday posts that she's going to do that have nothing associated with anything that she's sponsoring or that she supports. If you have a content creator become overly advertised, you really start to lose touch with your community as a content creator, that is, right? So as a brand, that's what you want to be able to look for is like that balance of organic and sponsored. It really is a huge balancing act for everybody. And while I wish I could give a percentage breakdown of what that balance looks like, I can't. It's really going to be different for everyone. Like try to make those sponsored ads look and feel more organic would be my advice. That can take us though down a whole episode rabbit hole if we start talking about balance and what that looks like, what to look for from a brand perspective as a creator. What does that look like? We'll save that back and forth for LinkedIn. Am I right? The third and final key takeaway from this episode is successful content creation really requires a deep understanding of trends your audience preferences, and your creative processes. This, in short, means being a trend setter, not a trend follower. I paused for dramatic effect there because I really feel like that is a mic drop moment in general, right? Being a trend setter, not a trend follower. In addition to that, and I particularly loved that we talked about this, is about having a good process for content creation in place. I am a self-proclaimed process junkie. It makes things more efficient and effective. Anyone that knows me knows that I talk about it ad nauseum, but there is a reason. It's because it works. I think that this is particularly important for content creators. It's really hard to kind of quote unquote, turn it 
off, like that creative process. You're always looking at like, oh, this moment could be potential content for a future, you know, video or post or whatnot. Influencers really live this kind of 24-7. You can really affect your life without a process and balance. What did you take away from this episode? Find me on LinkedIn, slide into my DMs, or get the conversation started on the Let's Talk Marketing podcast page on LinkedIn. A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team at Content Allies. And as usual, thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya, signing off. Mm -hmm.